Well, just before I get into my message this morning, uh, I just want to just share a, share a vision that um, Pastor Sanjay Solomon had on the, I think it was the last day of the convention. Um, for those of you who were in the meeting, he was the one we, we prayed for, for ordination on the Thursday night, and uh, he was very tall, very tall. But anyway, the, the vision that he had was similar to a vision that Pastor Gasaway had uh, some time back. But he, in, in the meeting, he, he got these words. The Lord said, look up at the ceiling of the sanctuary. It will be no more. I will take it away. I will pour out my spirit on Glory Hill. I will remove all hindrances, all blockages, like a hurricane that takes away the roofs. I will take away the sin that hinders. The hidden sin will I wipe out. The shackles I will open. There will be my spirit pouring out on Glory Hill. That day people will come running up Glory Hill. I will pour out my spirit. People will come from all quarters up the hill. You won't have place to keep them. A group will say, go away, go away, go to the nations. Don't stay here, make place for others. Go and declare the glory of God. A persecution will rise up. People at the base of the hill, those who don't want to go up, they will not believe. Hardened hearts, hardened thinking, darkened thinking. They hated me, they will hate you. They will not believe, but I will pour out my spirit. It will be a foretaste of things to come, a foretaste. Your time has come. Amen. And uh, we can look to the Lord and expect God for, you know, great things, great things ahead and his glory to be revealed, his spirit to be poured out. Now, we've been doing a series on, on um, Mount Zion and last time I spoke... Um, Last time I spoke uh, at here at uh, Zion Chapel, um, we, we, just, we began on um, Psalm 24 and verse 4, and we we're looking at qualifications for ascending up to the mountain of the Lord. And the psalmist writes, David the psalmist writes, you know, who shall, who shall ascend the hill of the Lord? And who shall go up to his, his holy hill? And the answer came back, he that hath clean hands and who hath a pure heart, who hath not lifted up his soul unto, va unto vanity and has not sworn deceitfully. And uh, I think we covered, we, we covered the first two. And I, he, who that, he that hath clean hands and a pure heart, we looked at that last time. And I want to cover the other two uh, this morning, who has not lifted up his soul to vanity and those who have not sworn deceitfully or practiced lying. Now this beautiful psalm, Psalm 24, it was, it was written in a time when, when David was, was moving the ark from the house of Obadidim. And just that ark, inside the ark was the, uh, the Ten Commandments, it was Aaron's rod that budded, there was the, there was the mana there, and that, that the ark, of course, represented the Lord himself, the very presence of the living God. And when David was moving the, the ark from the house of Obadidim, uh, 
that was where it, it, it was, which was just a little bit, little bit west of Jerusalem. And he was moving it to its resting place, which was on Mount Zion in Jerusalem, the Ark of the Covenant, just under a simple tent. And it was at this time that this anthem in Psalm 24, it was composed by King David and it was sung. And we're going to look this morning at two qualifications from verse 4 that we need to meet if we're going to ascend up Zion's holy hill. And as we mentioned before, when we talk about Zion, there's three different aspects of Zion. There's literal, literal Mount Zion, a lit, literal hill in Jerusalem. It was a literal hill in the southeast of Jerusalem at the time of King David. And, and then also we saw that Mount Zion is a literal, a literal hill in heaven. Heaven is very, very vast. And there's the New Jerusalem, which will come down from heaven. And within New Jerusalem, there is the heavenly Mount Zion. It'll be a, be a literal place in heaven. So there's the Mount Zion upon earth. There's the Mount Zion upon heaven, in heaven. But where it applies to us most is the spiritual Mount Zion, that we are, we are on a journey. We start at salvation, and then we don't just stop there, but there's more, there's more, there's more. We must go on for the Lord. And we want to go on our journey. And the destination of that journey the destination of that journey is spiritual Mount Zion. So that's why we're called Zion Fellowship. Zion Fellowship. If, if, and, and because the Lord, the Lord is there. The Lord dwells there. The Lord, that's his dwelling place. If the Lord dwelt in Jericho, maybe we'd be Jerichoites. Or if the Lord dwelt in Shechem, we'd be Shechemites. But, you know, the Lord dwells in Zion. And that, that's our goal. That's where we're heading that's where we're pressing on unto. And we looked at those, and in this, it's a, it's a wonderful psalm, Psalm 24. And speaking of the, the, the glory of God being manifest, and in Psalm 24, it gives those, it, it asks the question who will ascend God's holy hill? Psalm 24 and verse. Three, who shall ascend unto the hill of the Lord? Who shall stand in his holy place? Then the answer comes back, verse 4. He that hath clean hands and a pure heart, who hath not lifted up his soul unto vanity, nor sworn deceitfully. And the first one we'll look at this morning is the third one in that verse. And it says there, who hath not lifted up who has not lifted up his soul unto vanity. Who has not lifted up his soul unto vanity. And the, vanity, the word vanity there, it's a, it's a Hebrew word, shav, or I probably mispronounced it, but S-H-A-V. And that Hebrew, Hebrew word, it means vanity, useless, uselessness, desolation, meaningless, you know, futility. You know, of no purpose, no value. And here we are being warned not to set our hearts on, 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 on useless things, for that will result in, in desolation in our lives. And where it says, it says in the King James, 
who has not lifted up his soul unto vanity. Not lifted up his soul unto vanity. And in the, in the margin of my Bible, for vanity, it's got, has not lifted up his soul to an idol, to an idol. And, you know, it's easy for us to think, well, we don't com commit idolatry. I don't commit idolatry. I don't bow down to idols made out of gold or silver or brass or wood or I don't bow down to them. I don't worship them. You know, we know that is wrong. We know that's breaking the second commandment. They shall have... Thou shalt not make unto thee any graven image. And, and we know it's wrong. It's a, it's a breaking of the second commandment. But in the book of Ezekiel, it also speaks of idolatry, not only of outward things that we may, may, may worship, or in fact, many millions of people. In, in India, they say there's about 330 million different, different gods. And uh, that people, you know, they, they bow down to, they make images of, they make in gold and silver and brass and wood and so on, and, and they, they bow down to them, they worship them. But, and, and it's easy for us to think, well, you know, we don't have any idols. We, we're not involved in idolatry. But Ezekiel speaks of a different kind of idol, and he calls it the, the idols of your heart, the idols of my heart. And in Ezekiel 14, it speaks about the, the idols of the heart. And there, in, in three, three verses, verse 3, verse 4, and verse 7 of, of Ezekiel 14, it speaks there of idol, uh, the idols in their heart. Verse 3, idols in their heart. If we go to verse 4, and again we see the same thing. We see there... Uh, idols in the heart. Every man that setteth up, every man of the house of Israel that setteth up his idols in his heart. Idols in his heart. Idols in his heart. Verse seven, and it says there again. It speaks there and setteth up his idols in his heart. In his heart. So their idolatry. So there, it speaks of of idolatry there. But in Ezekiel, it's not speaking of an outward idolatry where you worship and fall down before something that you, you, you worship and you, you say is God. But Ezekiel is talking about something which is inside, internal, in our hearts, an internal idolatry. And uh, even, even good things, even good things in this life can become an idol to us if we love them more than God. And, you know, we're to love the Lord with all our heart, with all our mind, with all our strength, with our, with our whole being. You know, we're to, we're to love God. Uh, but, I mean, even, even a person's wife can become an idol if he loves her more than God. A person's husband can become an idol if they love them more than the Lord. A child... You know, if, we, if, we, we, if, if that child is more important to us, you know, than, than the Lord is, that child becomes an idol. A job can become an idol. Money can become an idol. You know, people work and work and work, money, money, money. Two jobs, three jobs, four jobs. And with, now, some people, I, I realize, need, but many people, the, the, that's their God. That's their goal, is, is just 
more money. They're never satisfied. No matter how much they get, they always want more. But, and that, that, that job, money can be, be an idol to them. Even something which is good, even a hobby, even something which is good, a hobby or, or some sport, which is, has many benefits, uh, you know, that can become an idol if we're not careful and if we're not, you know, putting, putting the, Lord, the Lord first in our life, a sport or a hobby. So all those things, a spouse, a child, a job, a hobby, a sport, money, pleasure, they can all become idols if we put them before the Lord. And you know, when we think of someone who had virtually anything you could think of, it was Solomon. It was Solomon. Was he satisfied? Was he happy? Did he have peace? Did he have fulfillment in his heart? No, he didn't. No, he didn't. And in Ecclesiastes chapter 2, in the first 11 verses, you know, we see Solomon, Solomon let his heart go wild, virtually wild. He did not have a disciplined heart, but it was a licentious he had 700 wives. He had 300 concubines. His heart wandered, and he did whatever he wanted to do. And he was king. He was able to do that. But Jeremiah tells us, Jeremiah 17:9, the heart is wicked above all things. The heart is corrupt above all things and desperately wicked. That's the human heart, same heart we all have. And Solomon experienced, he experienced, you know, the vanities of this world. He had mirth, he had laughter, he had wine, he had houses, he had vineyards, he had orchards, ponds of water, servants, maidservants, you know, great possessions, silver and gold. Whatever his eyes designed, whatever his eyes desired, he kept not from them. He, he experimented with this and with that and with this. He was trying to enjoy sin and yet retain wisdom. Now, some of those things I mentioned, you know, are, are legitimate, are needful. But all of us need to guard our hearts. We need to guard our hearts. We don't want to be those lifting up our soul under vanity. We need to guard our hearts so that, you know, things do not become idols. They do not become idols. And this is something we, we, we constantly need to do. We can be fine for a time and then you know, gradually slip and slip. And possessions or things or money or other things come in and the Lord can be gradually replaced. Jesus said, Luke, familiar scripture, Luke 12, 15, Jesus said, you know, take heed, beware of covetousness. For a man's life does not consist of the abundance of his possessions, what he possesses. And Solomon, he was able to have anything he wanted. But he did not receive lasting pleasure from his covetous lifestyle, from his licentious lifestyle, from his, you know, womanizing and so on. And, you know, he concluded at the end. He, I mean, he tried everything. 
But he said all is vanity, all is vanity, all is futility, all is uselessness, all is uselessness. Vexation of spirit, he says in Ecclesiastes 2.11. It's just vexation of spirit. And the margin of, of my Bible on, on vexation of spirit, it's like it said, grasping for the wind. You can stretch out, try to get the wind, but you, you can't catch the wind. And he was grasping for something to, to seek to find fulfillment. There's only one thing, or really one person, who can give true fulfillment in life, give true satisfaction, and that is the Lord. You know, nothing else. Nothing else. We're made for Him. And we can only be satisfied in life when we're living for the purpose that He created us for. And when He is first in our life, when He is the Lord and Master of our life. And it's important for us, you know, to, to be disciplined, to be disciplined in our lifestyle, to not to seek things, or not even to seek a ministry that God has not given to us. You know, some people think, well, I can just be an evangelist, or I can be a prophet, or I can be a... No, you can't. Nobody can be... I mean, there are gifts given by God. We can't just copy somebody else or try to be like somebody else. And it says of, of Aaron, the high priest, in Hebrews 5 and verse 4, and no man takes this honor unto himself, but he that is called of God, as was Aaron. So never try and get somebody else's ministry or their mantle. Psalm 119 and verse 37, it tells us, Turn away my eye, turn away mine eyes from beholding vanity, and quicken me or revive me in your way. And one of the keys so that, you know, our heart is not lifted up in vanity. One of the keys so that our soul is, 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 doesn't get lifted up into vanity is to set our affections, to set our mind, to set our affections on things above and not on things on the earth. Paul says this in Colossians 3 and verse 2. Set your affection, set your heart, set your mind, not on the things of this life, but on the things of the, the life to come, of the things of the kingdom of God, of the things that please the Lord. So, in verse 4, the one who goes up Mount Zion, the one who will ascend up to Mount Zion, is the person who has not lifted up his soul unto vanity, his soul unto idolatry. And the second one we want to look at this morning is the one who goes up the hill of the Lord, the one who ascends the hill of the Lord, is the one who has not sworn deceitfully, nor practiced lying, nor practiced lying. Sworn deceitfully, basically it's saying is a person you know, who does not lie, who does not practice lying. To swear deceitfully, it speaks of the, the horrible crime of perjury or giving a false testimony in the court of law. 
But in a wider sense, it means to lie, to distort the truth, to, to twist the truth. And a man's word must be his bond. A man's word must be his bond. You know, what we say when we say something, you know, do people know that, you know, if we say something, we're going to do it, we're going to keep it, we're going to keep what we, what we say we will do? You know, so many people are full of promises, I'll do this, I'll, I'll do that for you, I'll meet you at that, but, but then they never, they never fulfill what they speak out and what they promise. Those who purposely seek to deceive by means of lying under oath I mean, it is, the scripture is clear. They'll be cast into the lake of fire. For that is the end of those who habitually lie. And we read that in Revelation 21 and verse 8. And that, in that verse, it, it, it speaks of liars in the same context as it does. It speaks of, in the same verse, it speaks about murderers, warmongers, those who are sexually uh, immoral, then sorcerers, those involved in witchcraft and idolatry. And, and in that list of terrible sins, it says also added to it are all liars. And all of them, including liars, will have their part which burns in the lake of fire and brimstone in hell forever and ever and ever. And God hates, God hates a false witness that speaks lies. In Proverbs 6, in verse 16 to 19, it says there are seven things, seven things that God hates, seven things that God hates. And it's important for us that we, we don't only love what God loves, but that we will hate what God hates. And, you know, and then list those seven things. You know, a proud look, a lying tongue, 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 hands that shed innocent blood, a heart that devises wicked imaginations, feet that be swift in running to evil, to running to, to, to mischief. And then the sixth one of the seven things that God hates is a false witness that speaks lies. A false witness that speaks lies. And he that sows discord among brethren is the seventh one. So one of those seven things that God hates is a false witness that speaks lies. And it was Isaiah, the prophet Isaiah. I mean, often we think of this, well, you know, I'm not a habitual liar, da-da-da. But when Isaiah, when he saw the Lord, when he saw the Lord, and he had that vision of the Lord, and he saw the throne of God, and he saw the seraphims, and all the multitude of angels that were there. And they were crying out with a loud voice, Holy, holy, holy is the Lord. And as Isaiah the prophet, as he got that revelation of God in his glory and his power and that th the throne room of God, then he focused inward. And he saw his own heart. And he saw his own lips. And he said, woe is me, woe is me. I'm a man of unclean lips. And he, and he knew God needed to deal with his lips. And there was true repentance there. And God came and the angel came and touched, with that burning coal, touched his lips. 
and he was cleansed, he was purified. And then he was able to say, well, Lord, here am I. Here am I, Lord, send me. His, but his lips were the problem. And a false witness that's, that speaketh lies, you know, the lips are the problem. And like Isaiah, who had a problem with his lips, you know, many Christians have had a problem with their lips. And I don't just preach to you, I preach to myself as well. I mean, you know, Sometimes I, then I think, well, what a dumb thing I said, or that was, that was, that was a wrong thing I said, and, and you know, my, my, my lips have not been used wisely at times. And this is something that God wants to, to meet us with and to touch our lips. And that was the problem. That was the problem of Isaiah. And just to show how serious, how serious it is, you know, in the word of God, Ananias and Sapphira. I mean, they agreed together concerning the amount of the sale of their property, making out that, you know, they were, they were giving all the money. I mean, they were, they were leaders in the church, in the early church. And, and they even sold their property. And, 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 you know, they gave a part of it to the, to the, to the work of God. But they lied. They made out that they were giving more than they really were. And they were secretly keeping back part from themselves. I mean, there was no problem. They didn't have to give. Nobody was forcing them, forcing them to give. But they just wanted, they were more interested in the praises of man than the, the praise of God. And, you know, when, when Peter came in, he had a word of knowledge. And he exposed what they'd done. And then Ananias fell down, dead. And then sometime later, his wife Sapphira came in, and the same thing happened to her. They both fell, fell down dead physically, but not just physically, but you know, it's also to eternal death in hell. Jesus, when you think of Jesus, he, he is faithful and true. He's absolutely, absolutely true, absolutely truthful. In, every, in everything. And of course, in contrast to the devil, who was a liar. John 8, and, and listen, to G, listen to Jesus' words to the Pharisees in John 8, 44. And he tells them straight. He tells the Pharisees, you are of your father the devil, and the lusts of the father you will do. He was a murderer from the beginning, and abode not in the truth, because there is no truth in him. When he speaks a lie, he speaks of his own, for he is a liar and a father of it. The devil is a liar. He's the father of lies. He's the father of lies. And that's why Paul, he has to write to the Colossian believers. It was not unbelievers, but when, when Paul writes to the believers at Colossae, and they were, in many ways, they were a fine church. And they're a Pentecostal church, and... They love the Lord, but Paul has to write to them. And he says, Colossians 3 and verse 9, Lie not, don't lie one to another, seeing you have put off the old man with its deeds. And then Paul has to do the same thing with the Ephesians. And in, in Ephesians 4 and verse 25, when he writes his letter to them, again he says, put away lying. Speak every man truth with his neighbor, for we are members one of another. And so 
James tells us in James 3 and verse 2 that the perfect man, it's the perfect man who controls his tongue. And who controls his tongue is a perfect man. In many things we offend all. If any man offend not in word, the same, offend not in word, what we say, the same is a perfect man and able also to bridle the whole body. If we can bridle, if we can discipline our tongue, you know, we can discipline everything else, our whole body. Ask God, ask God for a love. We should all be asking God and keeping, keep on asking God for a love of the truth, for a love of the truth, especially in, in the inward parts. And Psalm 51 verse 6, it says, God desires truth in the inward parts. In Proverbs 23, in Proverbs 20 verse 23, Proverbs 20, it says, divers weights. Now, what are divers weights? Divers weights are di different weights. Different weights. They're an abomination unto the Lord. And a false balance is not good. So a false balance is, you know, is deceit, deceitfulness, basically lying. Yeah, a false balance is not good. And, you know, some, when we were in India, and we, were, we lived there for 13 years, and sometimes people would come round to the doors if they were selling some fruit or some vegetables or something, and Marilyn would go out and, and they'd, have a, they'd have a weight. They'd just have a balance, and they'd have a weight. And their weight was, was a kilogram, if it was a kilogram, Everybody else in the world uses kilograms. I think America still uses pounds. But if it was a, a, a two-pound weight, or a, we'll say a kilogram weight, and it would have, it would have, it would, it would have two. It would have, for example, two kilograms the weight. Two, make it one kilogram. One one kilogram weight. But really, it was not one kilogram weight. It was only about three quarters of that. So it was not a true weight. That's a d different weight. And so you'd think you were getting, you think you're getting one kilogram worth of vegetables or grapes or whatever you're buying, but you're really only getting three quarters of that amount. And, uh, and so what Marilyn had to do is she would have her own weight, which was a true weight, and she would, after they'd weigh it, and she would weigh it on her scale. And then if they matched up, then she would buy it. But, uh, it, but many times it was, a, it was a, a different weight. And sometimes to add to the weight, sometimes they would put, they'd put sand in the rice to, to increase the weight. Uh, and sometimes they'd put water in the gasoline to, uh, you know, make more money. And another thing, that, that one time Marilyn saw a man coming with a whole lot of shrimp, shrimps. He had a whole lot of shrimps, and they were in a basket, and he was carrying them. And Marilyn was looking out of the window, and the man got those nice, clean shrimps. And he threw them all into a, there was a, sand thing, a place full of sand and grit and dirt, and he put all the shrimps in the sand and the grit and the dirt, rolled them all around, and put them back in the, put them back in the, in the basket. And then he came to the door to sell them to us. And, uh, you know, thinking that the weight would now be increased and he'd make a bit more money. 
but you know, we weren't too interested in buying those shrimps from him. And even sometimes, you know, sometimes they were masters. I mean, some, some, and some people, some people from many different cultures, many different country, countries, you know, are masters at deception. And sometimes we would get milk. And on occasions, the cow would come and they'd milk the cow outside the house, just outside the house. And one time we were getting milk this way for a time. And Marilyn said to me, he said, well, the milk seems very watery. It doesn't seem very solid. So we, we, she went out to watch him. And the guy, he, had the, he was collecting the, collecting the milk. And he had a bottle of water. He had a long sleeve shirt on. And he had a, a little bottle of water here, a plastic bottle of water. And he would go like, and he'd be pulling the cow and getting the milk from the cow. And at the same time, he'd go like this, like that. And some water would come out through a narrow tube and go into the bottle. So that, so that the bottle, about a, you know, about a quarter of the bottle was water instead of milk. And so he would, that's how he would try to, to make more, more money. But, you know, that's divers' weights. But the scripture is very clear. You know, Roman, uh, Proverbs 12, 22. You know, lying lips are an abomination to the Lord. God hates them. Lying lips are an abomination to the Lord, but they that deal truly are his delight. And you know, some people, you know, some, some parents, they just will, you know, lie to their kids and think nothing of it. Other people will, will, will often will lie and they say, well, it's, it's just kind of a gray lie. It's not a big lie. But, you know, God hates lying whether it's a little lie or whether it's a medium-sized lie or whether it's a big lie. I mean, God hates lying. It's an abomination to the Lord. And by the grace of God, we must hate lying and be those, you know, our yea is yea, our nay is nay. Our yes is yes, our no is no. And Proverbs 12, 22, the Lord makes it very clear. Lying lips are abomination to the Lord. But they that deal truly, or they that deal truthfully, are his delight. When we, are abs- when we are absolutely truthful, we delight. We delight the heart of God. We delight the heart of God. A number of years ago, there were, there were seven Colombian young people, and they gathered together and they were praying and seeking the Lord, and then they were taken into heaven and they saw the Lord and the Lord showed them many places in heaven and the Lord was with them there were seven of them and the Lord was with them and then the Lord took them down into hell and showed them showed them different apartments and different places in hell and there was one of them her name was Lupi and she gives this testimony as we continued walking with the Lord I saw a very big column filled with worms. Around it was a slide of red-hot metal. On this column, there was a brightly lit billboard that could be seen from anywhere. And the billboard read this, Welcome, all liars and gossipers. It looked like brimstone. Then I saw a totally naked person coming down the slide. 
as they slid, their skin would peel off and their skin would stick to the slide. When they fell into the burning lagoon, their tongue expanded until it exploded and worms appeared in place of the tongue. This began their torment, their torment. And what a terrible thing, what a terrible thing to think people, you know, go through that kind of thing, you know, day after day after day, week after week after, month after month after month, year after year, forever. I mean, you can hardly imagine it, but it's true. And just as heaven is a literal place, hell is also a literal place. Psalm 73, verse 18 and 19 says this, surely you had set them in slippery places. Thou cast them down into destruction. How are they brought into desolation? As in a moment, they are utterly consumed with terrors. Now, people have different cultures and every language group, different countries, they have you know, their, their culture. You know, we have our American culture. There's Australian culture. There's New Zealand culture. There's Indian culture. The Chinese culture. We all have culture. And in the area, you know, in the area of, 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 of culture, you know, really when we get saved and when we come to the Lord, our culture is the culture of the kingdom of God. And our culture changes. Our culture is the, the culture of the kingdom of God, which is God's word. And so basically, in our particular culture, in the, you know, in our New Zealand, in the New Zealand culture, for example, I mean, part of it is a lot of all this, you know, they're bringing back the, you know, Maori language and so on and, 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 and worship of, of Maori gods. And in fact, was, there was one man of God from America who came there and he was given this, this carved war canoe. And the Lord said, well, I'm not, I'm not going back with you if that goes back. And he said, why, Lord? And he said, those carvings in the sides of the little wooden boat represent the gods of the sea. And some of you might have seen, you know, our, our main sport is, is main sport is rugby in in, in New, New Zealand. You know, they've won the, the World Cup, you know, quite a number of times. And uh, but often before they play a game of of uh, of, uh, of, uh, of rugby, you know, they'll give the haka and put their tongue out and and uh, it, but but basically it's it's a it's a representation you know, of, of, of Maori gods. So in a culture, in, in culture, I mean, if, if things in our particular culture, no matter what country it's from, if it's in agreement with the word of God, or if it's not against the word of God, we can accept it, we can embrace it. But in every culture, if there's things in our culture which are contrary to the word of God, then we must, you know, reject them from our lives. Because now we're citizens, not so much. You know, sometimes I, I would say that you know I have I have three citizenships, and people 
could not figure out how come I was able to get three f citizenships. Well, I was born in New Zealand. I've got a New Zealand citizenship. I've got a New Zealand passport. I've been living in America the last 18, 20 years. And, and so I have now become American citizen. And so I have an American passport. So I have a New Zealand passport and I have an American passport. But when I came to the Lord, hallelujah, I had a heavenly passport and the passport of heaven. And I'm a citizen of heaven. And, uh, and so by the grace of God, by the grace of God, where culture is different than the word of God, we must reject that culture and lay hold of the word of God. And sometimes in the area of lying, you know, in certain cultures, you know, people don't want to offend you. Naturally, people want to please you. And, and people do not want to lose face. So in order not to lose face, they will, they will tell you something untrue. They'll lie to you or tell you what they think, or they'll tell you not the truth, but they'll tell you what they, what they think you want to hear, even if, even if it is a lie. And so it is very clear through many scriptures that lying is a terrible sin in the word of God. Even those who are habitual liars, we've seen, they will go not up to heaven, they will go down into hell. And, you know, unless there is true repentance, an habitual liar will end up in hell for all eternity. And so, you know, by the grace of God, we want God to... We want God to deal with our lips, with our tongue, so that we, are, we, are, we speak the truth, the whole truth, and nothing but the truth, and are absolutely, absolutely, you know, truthful, you know, in word and in deed. And so, who will ascend the hill of the Lord? Who will ascend up to Mount Zion? Those who have clean hands, our works, those who have a pure heart, a pure heart, those who love purity, moral purity, but purity also of our motives, why we do things. And those who ascend the hill of the Lord up to Mount Zion are those who do not lift up our soul, lift up our, lift up our soul to, to, to vanity, to an idol, even if it may be an idol of the heart. And those who will ascend up to the hill of the Lord are those who have not sworn deceitfully, have not, not only those guilty of perjury, but those who have been involved in, in lying and being untruthful. And those four qualifications, we will ascend up to the Lord. And verse 5, we will receive the blessing from the Lord and righteousness from the God of our salvation. Let's just pray. Our lips, our lips, every, every eye closed. Even the prophet Isaiah needed God to touch his lips. 
And we want to be those. You know, when we talk, we, 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 we want to be those who please the Lord. Those who, are, those who hate, hate lying, hate sin, love righteousness, love God's ways. And if you know there's a real problem with your mouth, with your mouth, and you want God to deal with it, you want to be different. Your tongue, your mouth, just every eye closed, just lift up your hand. God bless you. God bless you. God bless you. God bless you. Bless you. Put your hands down. Father, Lord, you see these hands, Lord Jesus, that have been raised. And Lord, we just thank you. Lord, that you're a God who forgives. Lord, we thank you when we are truly sorry and we're truly willing to forsake that sin. Lord, you've promised you will forgive our sins. You will cleanse us from all unrighteousness. You will give us a clean sheet. You will blot that sin away and you will remember it no more. And Lord Jesus, I pray for these precious ones, Lord, that you will deal with their mouth, you will change them, and by your grace, by your power, by your spirit, Lord, that their lips will glorify you at all times. Oh God, work this in all of our hearts. We pray that, Lord, for all of us, Lord, help us to please you in the words we speak and say. In Jesus' name. You know, that psalm, Psalm 24, it tells us, after giving those four qualifications to ascend Mount Zion, it says in verse 5, He shall receive the blessings from the Lord, righteousness from the God of our salvation. And then going down to verse 7, Lift up your heads, O ye gates, and be ye lifted up, ye everlasting doors, and the King of glory shall come in. Who is this King of glory? The Lord strong and mighty, the Lord mighty in battle. When we allow God to deal with our lips, and when we allow God to deal with our hands, and deal with these four things that are mentioned there, it prepares the way, it opens the door for the King of glory to come in our midst. Verse 9, lift up your heads, O ye gates. Lift them up, ye everlasting doors, and the King of glory shall come in. Who is this King of glory? The Lord of hosts. He is this King of glory. As the musicians come, let's stand, shall we?